Hi, friends. Are we all right? Good. Sam's always all right. Sam's the, uh, the vocal one in the room, and I love it. Be like Sam. Um, great. We're in uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to start with a little thing I've noticed. I don't know if you relate to this, but I've noticed this. Living in London, you get this really weird thing. And we went to, me and Fiona went to central, more central London, like for something, I can't remember what. And as I was walking around, I suddenly realized that everything I'm walking on is concrete. Everything I'm walking on is stone put there by people, right? And there's very few trees, and even the plants that are around, they're all put there by a human being. And we walk past shops and everything, and in the shops there's food that's been packaged and cut and put in plastic for us by people and meat that's in, and Steve's cell phone's going off, just embarrassing you, Steve. <laughs> Everyone point and stare. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, no, I'm, I'm joking. Um, it's absolutely fine. Um, but all these things, I suddenly realized, actually, they're so man-made. And I suddenly realized that what was in my head, what was going into my head was a subtle message to the city. It's like, I, I'm, I'm in the center of what goes on in this place as, as a human, right? As humans, we create our environment. As humans, we provide for ourselves. As humans, we're the center of what is. And then a week later, I was at the top of Snowdon, which is a big mountain in Wales, highest mountain in Wales. And just by its mere existence, it shouts at me, you're very small. And I could see the stars because there's no pollution in Snowdon. And they shout to me, you're very small and you're really not important at all. Just by their very existence, they shout to me, something bigger than you has created what's around you more fundamentally, right? And that's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. What's around me? What am I seeing day to day? What's going into me day to day? When I'm in the city, the message is, that human beings, us, we create our environments, we provide for ourselves, we're the center of the universe. You go out into the countryside, immediately, there's nothing you can do about it, it just declares to you that no longer are you the center, but a partaker of something much bigger than yourself. A matter of perspective. There's two things I think we need to understand before, I get, before we sort of grasp what this passage is about um, today. The first one is that culture forms your thinking. And it's inescapable. It's inescapable. Culture forms your thinking. It's like it really is as, as, as like, a, like a fish, two couple of fish swimming in a pond saying, do you believe in water? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think it actually exists. You know, because they're just surrounded by it all the time. They can't, they don't have the perspective to perceive what water is. It just surrounds them. And in the same way, cultural thinking surrounds us. We swim in it. We're surrounded by it all the time. And let's make no mistake, that forms our thinking. And when I was younger, it took me a while to understand that because you're really arrogant when you're young because you don't know what you don't know. And so you really do think you've got the perspective on everything. You know what I mean? Like I can see everything and I understand how it all works. And it takes growing up a little bit to realize, blimey, I'm formed by a perspective. And we see this on social media, I mean, all the time. We'll experience it all in our lives all the time. That's why you get radical, radicals coming out on social media because the algorithm feeds them the same stuff and the same stuff and the same stuff and they lack perspective. So there we go. Culture 
forms our perspective. So your perspective is limited, and there's thinking that you're bringing here. There's thinking you're bringing as you read this book that you don't necessarily realize is there. It's like a lens on a camera that you're just looking through, and you think it's implicit. You think it's just meant to be there, but maybe it's not. There's the first thing. I want to tell, the second thing is something about Greek culture, which is who this was written to. In Greek culture, they put a heck of a lot of emphasis on appearance. And uh, the way someone dressed, what they were dressed in, uh, the size of their house and the quality of it, how much money they had, how successful they are, how well-spoken they are, what, you know, the quality of their rhetoric, as they would say, that really mattered in, Greek, in Greece. Like, really, culturally, that meant a, a great deal to them. And actually, what they concluded was, the more of that stuff that you have, clothes, house, money, success, the more true your religion must be. That was how they equated things. So it meant that if someone came along and said, well, I worship the goddess Artemis, and they're like a super important, powerful person, you're like, well, it must be true, because they're like, their life is winning. So, oh, maybe Artemis is like the right one to follow, and then someone else comes along, and they're even more powerful and important. They're like, I worship Zeus. And you're like, okay, maybe Zeus is like the right person to like go and worship. So they really have this thing in their culture where it's like the more successful someone appears, the more true their religion must be. Enter Paul, who wrote our letter today. Paul has no money. He's literally living in poverty, living in a tent. His clothes are raggedy. Uh, it's pretty clear from this that he's actually not particularly good looking, bless him. And on top of all of that, despite it being his life's calling to share and teach the good news, he's not actually a very good public speaker. He's a bit mumbly and a bit stumbly, and he doesn't have, use very big words. He's sort of simple, simple Joe in that regard. And so now think about how the Corinthians perceive Paul. They have been formed by their culture. And Paul is like not winning that cultural race in the least. And so th here we go. This is the context that Paul is writing this uh, letter into. He's, he's written, we know, 1 Corinthians. So that's the first letter he writes to this church in Corinth, in Greece. Uh, and he explains the gospel. It's all lovely. He plants the church. They all love him. Something happens between then and now, writing to Corinthians. It seems like, implied by this letter, that a lot of the Corinthians have basically said, Paul, something's wrong with this guy. Something's deeply wrong with this guy's message. This religion cannot be true. Look at this raggedy, poor man living in a tent. Uh, it cannot be right that Jesus is therefore the king. And we've got all these other people who are also like claiming to follow Jesus, but also they're, but they're successful businessmen and they're dressed in really nice stuff. And the Corinthians are swayed by these people. And Paul is so annoyed by this. He is like, you're thick. Corinthians, you're thick. Shall I tell you why you're thick? Because you've forgotten the central point of Christianity. What's the central thing about our faith? It's about a man who died, poor, naked, bleeding, bruised and bloody, hung up on a criminal's cross where he suffocated to death. That's the central thing of our faith. Corinthians, you're thick. How can you possibly say that because I'm not rich and powerful and good-looking and handsome and all this stuff, that I, I'm, not, I'm less true than Jesus Christ, who is the center of our faith? 
And then we get to this passage. So we get to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And what Paul is doing in this passage is he's challenging their perspective. Your perspective, Corinthians, is culturally based. It's culturally formed. It's, he, he describes it in a, he sort of mashes together a whole bunch of metaphor. He says it's like, your perspective is like a tent, right? Temporary accommodation. In my case, I would call it emergency accommodation. It's made by human hands. It's mortal. It's formed by sight. What you can see has formed your perspective. And then he contrasts it with what it should be as a Christian. Guys, it should be based on the truth. It should be not like a tent, but like an eternal building that'll never go anywhere. It should be not made by human hands, but given to you by God. It should be not mortal, but eternal And it should be dictated not by what you can see, but by your faith, what you believe. And that's where we get that really famous famous verse in the middle here. We live by faith, not by sight. That's what he's saying. You're formed by culture and the stuff around you that you can see, the water that you're swimming in and breathing, the cultural thinking that is forming your life and is inescapable has begun to form what you believe. So he's challenging their perspective, okay, It's a really simple word because the only thing really left for us to answer, actually, I think that's crucial for us today. There's a lot we could go into. It's quite a technical book. But all I want to really answer today, how do you fix your perspective? How do you fix your perspective? Prudence, could you you grab me that? Thank you very much. Cheers. Actually, would you come with me, actually, for a moment? And could you just take it with you? It'll unspool as you go down the middle of the church. Thank you. Thanks, Prudence. This is all very exciting. I really hope I'm, I really hope I'm holding the... <laughs> ouchy heads. Um, I really hope I'm holding everyone's attention. All right, here we go. Um, how do you fix your perspective? First thing I want to suggest, think long term. Think long term. Okay, we've just unspooled this wire. I want you to imagine this wire is your life, your existence. It starts here and it goes on forever doesn't stop there, it goes like out of the church and it just carries on for eternity. Now I want you to look at this red bit. This red bit is your time on earth, okay? You're 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years, lucky you. That is your life on this planet. Let me ask you this, why would you spend all of your time trying to invest for something that's going to give you a return for that much time? You've got all Isn't it better to invest in something that's going to start there and last forever? I'm just going to say it again. Why would you spend all your time, all your life, investing? Maybe you'll think retirement's like a big turning point in your life where it flips from work to enjoyment. You're talking about this, this little bit of red. Wouldn't you rather invest into something that lasts for eternity? Think long-term. Think eternal. What does that mean practically? Okay, let's just get really practical. What does it mean? It means when you make a decision in your life, ask yourself and put a reminder on your phone and ask yourself and ask it again and again and again until it's second nature and then ask it again and again until it's first nature, what is the eternal value? 
in this decision? What is the eternal value? What is the eternal value of what I'm doing with my money? What is the eternal value with what I'm doing with my work? What is the eternal value of how I'm treating my family right now? The eternal value. It's easy to live for this last inch of red. It's easy because culture shows us how all the time. It's speaking into us, telling us how to do this and how, why it's important. And Christianity is very different because death suddenly isn't something to be feared. It's something to be longed for. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's, it's big. It's a big, it's a big deal. Death is no longer something to be feared. It's something to be longed for. That's what Paul says in this passage. I'm going to read it. We know that this earthly tent we live in, that's the body, but Paul's obviously also speaking to the fact that he lived in a tent. Is destro- when it, uh, sorry, for we know that if this earthly body we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, i.e. longing to go from red to black here, longing to go from death to true life. Think long-term. That's my first tip to how to fix your perspective. Secondly, lift up your eyes. I love that Rachel read Psalm 121 because we didn't talk about that. It's just, it's just happened, which I love because it means the Holy Spirit's on it. Listen, Psalm 121, lift up your eyes. I lift my eyes to what? The hills, the mountains. From where does my help come? The maker of heaven and earth. The mountains are t- telling, telling him, telling David, who wrote the psalm, I'm not the center. God's, God's much bigger than I am. So lift up your eyes. Okay, how do we do this? I'm just going to do a little book recommendation here. This is um, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. I recommend this very, very highly. Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. If you want to write it down, write it down, because it is worth getting this book. A Path to Spiritual Growth. He calls spiritual discipline a door to liberation. These are, this, is, this is how you lift up your eyes in a spiritual sense. This is actually how you do it. The inward disciplines. You meditate, you pray, you fast, and you study. The outward disciplines. Disciplines of sub- simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. And finally, the corporate disciplines. Confession and worship and guidance and celebration. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You want to fix your perspective, and I really recommend you focus on fixing your perspective from a godly perspective. You think long-term and lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. In worship, in spirit dwelling, that's the meditation, the solitude, the silence, the fasting, the prayer, taking time to still your heart so you can start hearing the voice of the king, so you can start hearing the melody of heaven start dancing to it in the, in, in the present. Celebration and thanksgiving. And finally, in the word, because the word being scripture, the Bible, and this is the last thing I'm going to say really, but the word, is just very simply, there's not a lot of literature out there that is speaking authoritatively on eternity. But this is. There's not a lot of literature out there that is talking about what your life's going to look like for eternity. There's a heck of a lot of stuff we get on, on, on the last inch of red, right? On enjoying your life and building your success in this life. 
but not a lot talking about eternity, but this is. There's not a lot of literature that claims to be inspired by the Spirit of God, specifically so that we could understand what he wants from us, but this is. It is impossible to read this book, actually, um, for any length of time and think that you're still the center and still be trapped up in, uh, in the perspective of culture. So I would just encourage you to read it. If you haven't read it before, I'd start with John's Gospel, New Testament. If you want to know how to live in the world effectively as a Christian, I'd say go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It tells you very clearly how to do it. It's a brilliant book. And if you just want to connect with the Lord and change your perspective on the fly, as I would say, go to the Psalms, read them. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? The maker of heaven and earth. The owner of all things, the maker of the seas and the deserts and the things. The Psalms go into this, they say it. And your perspective can change. Advantages of that, as uh, the passage says, I'm reading verse six here. Therefore, we are always confident This is what happens when your perspective shifts into heavenly perspective. You're always confident. And know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not sight. Uh, (laughs) I can just suddenly hear like the Bible being read to me in a mechanical voice. Um, There we go. Um, eternally confident. Uh, There's a passage that just says, always be prepared, it's in 2 Peter, to give a defense or a reason for the hope that you have. You know, if you want to be an effective disciple of Jesus and you want to see people come to know the good news, which I hope you do, because why wouldn't we want people to know the best news ever? Um, We should have a defense for the hope that we have. The hope that we have. What is the hope that you have? Well, it's that as you age... Or as you experience sickness, as you experience your body slowing down, getting injured, getting injuries that are long-term, we don't see them as things that are leading to this horrible marker of death. We see them now as signs pointing to something so much bigger than we are. An eternal life with Jesus. An eternal life with Jesus. I can't describe to you what that looks like particularly. I, I can't try I believe the Holy Spirit is in you as a guarantee and a deposit to whisper about it to you personally. So I would just encourage you to go and listen to him. Um, But equally, if you want to know what heaven's like, I'd encourage you to live a godly life and go there to see it yourself. Um, Let me pray. Is that all right? Uh, Let me, yeah, let me me, me just pray because, sorry, I'm a a bit, it's a bit bitty, this sermon. But there we go. Lord, would you save us, from our, save us from our perspective that's formed only by culture and what we feel and desire. Save us from a limited worldview that can lead us into all sorts of messes, right? Like, if you don't have the perspective, we can walk into stuff that we, you know, like a trap or, you know, it's awful. We need your perspective, Lord. We need a true perspective. So, Father, we invite you now to speak to us. Help us to fix our perspectives. Help us to practice looking at the long-term perspective. Investing in what it means for eternity, our eternal lives. Not merely these mortal short lives, this tent, this temporary accommodation. Lord, let us live for the eternal accommodation, Jesus. 
Help us to lift up our eyes to the hills, to see that we're not the middle, the center or the provider, but you are, Jesus. Help us to pray, help us to still ourselves to hear your voice and help us to be in your word and study it so that we can just understand things from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.